This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter uh, number two, we're going through the book of Romans verse by verse. This is message number, I think, 26 in our series. If you don't have a copy of the notes today, uh, you can grab one of those. Or use your mobile device, the Hui Kala app. has a list of all the notes for uh, today's message that way as well. Whatever works for you. We find ourselves in Romans chapter two where he's talking to a group of Jewish believers. Now, these are people who uh, have a godly heritage, you could say. Uh, they were God's chosen people back from the book of Genesis. Uh, the, much of the Old Testament tells the story of the Jews and how they walked with God, and then they didn't walk with God, and they walked with God, and they didn't walk with God. And uh, it, it's kind of an up-and-down story, if you will. And we get to the New Testament, uh, they feel like now they're a little bit more privileged than everybody else. Hey, we have a godly heritage. Uh, hey, we were God's chosen people. Uh, we got a special relationship with God. Uh, and Paul says, you do, but that doesn't put you to the head of the line before anybody else. You still need Jesus. And so uh, that's kind of the, the theme throughout the book of Romans is you need Jesus. Uh, and let me tell you why. And that's what the book of Romans does for us uh, this morning. Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number, let's start in verse number 12. We're going to go through verse number 24 this morning. Uh, just for the sake of context, we'll read verses uh, 12 through 16, and then we'll read through the rest of to verse number 24. <clears throat> if you remember verse number 12, for as many as have sinned without the law shall perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Whether you had God's law or you didn't, you're going to be held responsible for it. Uh, verse number 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. In other words, the Gentiles didn't have the Ten Commandments the way that the Jews did. But they still obeyed God's law because uh, they knew right from wrong. Uh, verse number 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts. And meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So they knew what was right and wrong because God had already written that up on their hearts. Uh, their conscience let them know, hey, you've crossed the line. Hey, what you've done isn't right. It's not good. It's a sin. Uh, and so even though they didn't have explicit rules from God, God's implicit law was already written on their hearts, and their conscience let them know uh, that they had violated God's law. Starting verse number 17 through 24 is where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide to the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the babes, which hath a form of the law and the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest the boast of the law, Breaking the law, dishonest thou God, for the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles through you as it is written. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and, and 
my, both my parents were Christians, and they had uh, grown up in the homes of abusive alcoholic fathers. Both my mom and my dad had abusive alcoholic fathers growing up, and they didn't really know a lot about Christianity, and through a, God's a series of circumstances, God had got them plugged into church, and uh, my dad had been saved as, at a young age, my mom had been saved as a teenager, uh, and they got married when they were 18, just kids out, right out of high school. They didn't know a lot about Christianity, they didn't know anything about Christian family because they'd never experienced that. And so they basically had, did the best that they had with what they had, and they made a decision if God ever gives us children, we're going to make sure that our kids are in church every single time the doors are open. Uh, so um, God gave my parents two kids, uh, one of them the favorite kid, of course, um, and then there was my brother. Uh, and so, but uh, me and my brother grew up in church every single time the doors were open because my parents just really didn't know what else to do. And I'm thankful for a, a godly heritage and Christian parents, but there's a little bit of a disconnect we went to church every single Sunday. I heard stories about the Bible. I heard the Bible taught, uh, if you will. I knew a lot of facts about the Bible, but I didn't know what it meant to actually walk with God. I didn't realize that those are two separate things. I thought that Bible knowledge was just really all it was about, and then you kind of stay away from the big sins. Everybody knows what the big sins are, and you try to stay away from those, and if you know a lot about the Bible, you stay away from the big sins, then you're probably okay. And then my wife and I, we got married, and we were baby, baby Christians when we got married. We didn't know a lot about anything, and uh, we started going to church again because it's kind of, we don't really know what to do with our lives, but we should probably be in church. And so we began going to church and uh, became really evident to us when we got into a Bible preaching church that there was a huge disconnect in what we knew and how we lived. And somewhere, at some point, we needed to bridge the gap. Paul, as he writes to the, the church at Rome here, and these Jews especially, he say, hey, you know a lot about God. You know a lot about the Bible. But the way that you're living creates this massive disconnect between the two. You see, God didn't give us his, his word for information. He gave it to us for application. The Bible isn't just a, a book of ancient stories and history and facts, while it definitely has some of that. The Bible is meant to be a guidebook for life. It's interesting, sometimes people say things like, well, life doesn't come with an instruction manual. Ha, ha, ha. Actually, it does. It's called the Bible. Well, when they, they give you a kid at the hospital, they don't give you an owner's manual for kids. They do it. It's called the Bible. And so God gives us his guidebook for life, but unfortunately, many people relegate it to simply facts and stories and principles to live by. But it's so much deeper than that. As Paul writes to the Jews here in uh, chapter number two, he kind of takes a break from chapter number one. And chapter two really kind of puts his focus on the Jews here. Uh, he begins to speak to them. And many times when Paul speaks to Jews who think they're better than everybody else, he immediately starts with a rebuke. Hey, here's where you're wrong. But Paul does a really good job as he writes to people in correction uh, and admonishment to kind of create what I refer to as a rebuke sandwich, right? A, a little bit of praise mixed with a rebuke and then another little bit of praise on the other side of it makes it a little bit easier to handle. Uh, this, uh, this principle of admonishment and rebuke is found in, in many types of secular leadership culture. I remember reading a book one time called The One Minute Manager. 
And it talks about how to deal with the people that work for you in, in, in a series of minutes and the meetings that you have. And you're to give one minute of praise followed by one minute of rebuke followed by one minute of praise. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've heard that before. It's in the Bible. That's not a secular leadership principle. That's a biblical principle. So Paul starts out here with the Jews in verse number 17, telling them what a great job they'd done. Uh, the Jews had the law, which was good. Uh, again, verse number uh, 17 here, he says, Behold, thou art a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Hey, these are all three really good things. <clears throat> hey, they had the law of God. They knew the, the Bible as much as it were at that point. Now, mind you, at this point when Paul writes to the church at Rome, the only thing that they have is the Old Testament. Uh, Paul is in the process, this letter that he writes to the church at Rome, for us becomes the book of Romans. For them, it was just a letter from Paul. So they didn't have a lot to go on at this point, but Paul says, hey, you've got the law, which is good. When we talk about the law, we're really talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are sometimes referred to as the law or the law of Moses because all five of those books were written by Moses. So he starts off here saying, hey, that's really good. Hey, you call yourself a Jew, which this is good. They were called God's people. Again, we go back to the book of Genesis. Uh, and God made a commitment, a covenant, if you will, with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you a seed, and I'm going to give you a blessing. Hey, I'm going to give you a land that will be yours. I'm going to create from you a people that will be so numerous. It'll be like the stars in the sky. You can't even count them all. And from that, all the world will be blessed. And you will be my people. And from this, we get a group of people uh, who would be descendants of Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And all the descendants of Jacob would be known as the children of Israel. And so that's, that whole line, that whole lineage goes back to the promise that God made Abraham in the book of Genesis of the Abrahamic covenant. And he writes to them and says, hey, you guys are call yourself Jews, which is really good. You recognize your lineage comes from God. Now, for those of us that happen to be here today that are not Jews, we are not part of God's original plan for his chosen people. That was for the Jews that would come from the, the lineage of Abraham. But I'm thankful that God didn't just leave the rest of us sitting on the sidelines while God continues to do his own thing. God sent his son Jesus, get this, so he could invite everyone in to be a part of his family. All people to be called his own. You see, God, again, sent his son Jesus in uh, John chapter 1, tells us this, that all those who would believe on the name of the Son of God, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. When the term sons, sons and daughters, family of God, for all that would believe on Jesus. And it goes like this. And if you hear nothing out of today's message, you just got to hear this part here, because it's the most important thing ever. You and I were not born into the family of God. You and I were born as enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 tells us that. We haven't got there in the book of Romans yet, but we will one day. Romans chapter 5, you and I born enemies of God because we have sinned against God. God gives us rules and guidelines to follow. You and I don't want to do it. We want to do our own thing. The Bible calls that sin. And because we've broken God's law, there's consequences for that. 
God says the consequences of your sin and mine are death, and after we die, we're going to go to hell to pay for our sins. That's what we deserve. But God loves you and God loves me so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to come and die in our place. Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus paid for your sin by dying on the cross. Most important thing that will ever happen in all of human history was Jesus becoming a man and dying for the sins of mankind. Now, for all who would believe in Jesus, for all who would put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and choose to follow him, they can be forgiven of their sins. It's a one-time thing where you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. And at that moment, the Bible says you are born again. Now, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So you need to make sure that you're saved. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, your sin is 100% on you. And when you die, you will 100% certainly go to hell to pay for your sins. That's what the Bible says. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ alone, and there's been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you might say, well, I still make mistakes. Yeah, me too. I still sin. Yeah, me too. But it's a matter of being forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ. You need to make sure that you're saved. And if you are saved, get this, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, you are a son or daughter of God. That's what Romans chapter 1 verse number 16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you were born into. You can become one of God's people through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's not really fair to the Jews because that was part of their deal they had with God where they were God's people. No, no, no. To go back to the Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, and the blessing, the blessing would be that through, all the, through the lineage of Abraham, all the world would be blessed. The lineage of Abraham goes to Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, the whole world can be blessed and be a part of the family of God through Jesus. So the Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham back in Genesis, first book of the Bible, the fulfillment of that was through Jesus Christ. And you and I, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter what your nationality or ethnic group is, you can become one of God's people through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, as he writes to the Jews, hey, you call yourself a Jew. That's actually a really good thing. Exodus chapter 19, verse number 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, that's the covenant that God made to Abraham, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. Now, that word peculiar in, in Bible terms doesn't mean weird like you and I would use the term peculiar. The word peculiar means a purchased possession. Hey, you guys will be my purchased possession. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. Leviticus chapter 26, verse number 12, and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And so Paul, as he writes to the Jews in, in the book of Romans here, he tells them, hey guys, you call yourself a Jew, that's great. You recognize that you belong to God. You recognize the special relationship that God has always had with you and your ancestors as far back as you can possibly trace. Hey, you guys, rest this in the law. They found assurance in the law of God. 
They found their rest in God's word. Now, the, the word law can sometimes refer to the totality of scripture that they had at that time. Again, generally it refers to the first five books of the New Testament. Psalm 119, we don't have time to look into it today, but Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. If you ever want to just dig deep into the Psalms, Psalm 119 is one that you'll never be able to exhaust if you study through that. But it's the psalmist speaking of how much he loves God's word. There's something like 170-something verses, I don't remember off the top of my head, in Psalm 119 where he just goes on and on and on and on about how good God's word is. And they found their rest in the word that had been given to them. And he says, hey, this is really good. You and I as Christians need to find our rest and our assurance in the word of God. That's why you don't need to go to a church with a flamboyant pastor who's a really great communicator. You need to find a church that preaches the Bible. We don't find our rest in a personality or a, a figurehead. We find our rest in the word of God. The Bible is our source of strength. The Bible is our source of truth. The Bible is our guidance for life. And look, for me as a pastor, my only job is to teach the Bible to you and shepherd and guide you to follow after God. And so the Bible must be our source of strength. The Bible must be our source of hope. Not a person or a personality or a place Look, I, I love this church, I really do, and, and seeing other parts of the world, seeing different churches and things like that, and coming into interactions with other Christians just makes me much, that much more thankful for our church family. I, I love this place to death. But this building here has no value. The building itself is just uh, concrete blocks. The building itself is nothing special. So there's nothing special about the place. There's something special about the people. And what ties us all together? Christ and the Word of God ties us together. That's it. And so we find our rest not in a particular place, not in a particular personality, but we find our rest in the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse number 33. God says, But this shall be my covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. And after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hey, I'm going to give you my word and it's going to saturate your whole being. When he says, I'm going to put my word in your heart, it doesn't just mean they're emotional. It meant their whole being. Their heart was the center of their life. And God says, I'm going to put my word there for you. That's why I encourage you to read the Bible every single day of the world. You say, well, uh, I, I just struggle to read it. You've got to make it a priority. And they say, well, I don't really understand it. The more you read it, the more you'll understand it, guaranteed. And if you read it and you don't understand it, I have a really good study Bible that you could get. We have the Life Application Study Bible here. Uh, it's one of the only two study Bibles that we even carry here because it's one of the best that I've ever seen. Top half of the page, what the Bible says. Bottom half is what all that means to you today. Life application means like what it means for you today. And you need a good study Bible because you need to know the Word of God. And the more that you read the Word of God, the more that you know the Word of God, the better off you'll be. And so he tells the, the Jews here, hey, you call yourself God's people. That's great. You find your rest in the law, the Word of God. Awesome. 
Your boast is in the Lord. This is really great. He says, hey, if you want to brag about something, you generally brag on God. That's a really good thing, by the way. Apostle Paul says, if I have a reason to boast, it's not of anything that I've done, but my boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's writing to the Jews here, and again, for all of his rebukes that he has against them uh, throughout his writings, he's actually telling them, hey, you guys, when you brag, you're really just bragging on God. You're not bragging on yourself. Your boast is in the Lord. You're doing great. Isaiah 45, verse number 25, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory Isaiah 48, verse number two, for they shall call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is their name. Hey, they said, we're God's people. We're God's chosen people. He's been faithful to us. Hey, uh, the Jews could say, we were in bondage and slavery to Egypt. And he led us out by Moses, by 10 plagues, uh, by the hand of Moses to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They came after us. God drowned all of our enemies. And God eventually led us into the promised land just like he said that he would. And God's been faithful. They could say, hey, God told us to repent of our sin, but we didn't. And so we went into to slavery to the, the, the country of Babylon, the empire of Babylon. But God delivered us out of that because God's been faithful. They had this legacy of faith. And to the Jewish believers here at the church at Rome, he said to them, hey, guys, your boast is in the Lord. That's where it should be. Hey, if you and I have anything to brag or boast about today, it's just the fact that God's been really good to us. We have a boast in the grace of God. People say things like, oh, you and your wife have such a great marriage. Man, it's the grace of God. I can't brag, oh, I'm a super-duper husband. Yeah, she, she really married up when she married me. No, she married down. Like, I'm, I'm blessed. Oh, you, you guys have such great kids. Hey, our kids got a gang of problems, and I can make a list for you if you wanted to. But anything good in my kids is a result of the grace of God in their lives. I don't have any reason to brag like I'm, I'm a super parent or like, let me tell you how fatherhood works because I got this whole parenting thing figured out. I don't. I got a teenage girl, dude, and I'm scared. Let me just tell you that. Teenage boys, I can handle. Teenage girls, totally next level, right? Things I never thought I'd have to think about, I have to think about now that I have a teenage girl. But again, if she turns out okay, it's going to be by the grace of God. If she grows up to love Jesus and marry a guy that loves Jesus, that will be the grace of God, not anything awesome that I've done. And so I don't have any reason to brag or any reason to boast. Even when we take a look at what God's done in our church over the last nine years, we have no reason to brag or boast at anything that we've done, but it's only in the grace of God and his undeserved, unmerited favor on our church family that he's done incredible things for almost a decade here. No reason to brag or boast for, for me or what I've done. Look, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I'm not talented enough to manufacture or fabricate something like this. It's the grace of God. It's the work of God. And so their boast was in the Lord. Man, we got a lot of good things that we could learn from the Jewish believers in Rome. They recognized their standing before God, that they were God's people. Uh, they recognized their need for the word of God. And they recognized that their boast was in the Lord. Man, I want to live like that. Now, the Jews also became wiser through the law. As God gave them his word, they really took it and they soaked it up. 
It was a requirement for every king before he would take the throne that he would write out the first five books of the Bible by hand so that he could never say he didn't know what the Bible said. It was required for every father when he had children to write out the first five books of the Bible by hand. So the dad couldn't say, well, I didn't know what the Bible says. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. No, no, no. You wrote it out with your own hand. You know what you were supposed to do. And so they had a, a steep, steep tradition in the Word of God that they would know and dwell in the Word of God. Take a look at verse number uh, 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and thou restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Verse number 18. And knowest his will. They knew God's will. When we think of God's will, sometimes we think of it as like a, a, a destination. Like it's all, God's will's out there and I'm on my way to try to find God's will. Let me let you in on a couple of things when it comes to God's will. First of all, God's will sounds like this weird, mystical destination out there. But when we talk about God's will, it's simply want, what God wants to be done. Really simple. For example, when someone dies and they uh, process their estate, they go over their last will and testament. These are the last wishes, the last desires of this person who has passed away. God doesn't have last wishes or last will and testament. God has a continuing will. Does that make sense? This is what he wants done. This is how he wants things to be operated. And so for you and I, when it comes to God's will, it's not a matter of like, oh, figuring out this weird place down the road somewhere. It's what does God expect from me today? Again, helpful thought for you. God's will is not a destination. God's will is a journey. You're not trying to figure out where God's will is five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. You're trying to figure out what's God's will for me today. What does God expect from me today? Because get this, this is going to blow your mind, I know it is. If I walk in God's will today, just today, and I wake up tomorrow on Monday and I walk in God's will on Monday, and then I wake up on Tuesday and I walk in God's will and I follow and obey everything he tells me to do on Tuesday. Then I do it again on Wednesday. And I do that for a couple of months. A couple of months from now, I'll find myself directly in the center of God's will because I'm just walking it day by day. And if I string that together for a couple of months to a year or two, couple of years, two years from now, I'm gonna be dead center in God's will because I'm just walking in it day by day. And then, going to blow your mind, if you do that every day, you're going to wake up 10 years from now dead center in the middle of God's will. But so many times we're like, oh, I don't know what God's will for my life is five years from now. Don't worry about that. Focus on God's will today. Amen. God reveals it one step along the way. See, so many times we want to know God's will because we want to figure out whether or not we want to obey it, right? Hey, maybe God will show me what the destination is and I'll figure out whether or not I actually want to go there or not. No, 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 no. God doesn't work that way. God gives you your, 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 his will one step at a time. You just got to be obedient in the step that you're in. Don't worry about where you're going to be at 20 years from now. Worry about where you're going to be at today or tomorrow. That you can control. No lie. Had you caught me 25 years ago and said, hey, God wants you to pastor, and we're going to figure out a path to get you from point A to point B, I would have told you to get lost. 
like 25 years ago, I wasn't even attending church faithfully. Like I didn't go to church most Sunday mornings 25 years ago. Pastoring was like the last thing on my mind. But as God began to draw us closer to him and we began to walk in God's will day by day, everything just kind of fell into place. Hey, when Angela and I first got married, God's will was that we would attend church faithfully. And we said, okay, we'll do that. And we knew immediately once we started going, I I knew from, again, being in church and being taught the Bible, we need to begin tithing and make God part of every aspect of our life, including our finances. If God comes first, he comes first everywhere. So we began tithing. We didn't know a lot. We weren't obeying the rest of the Bible. We just started showing up to church and tithing. Then we began to serve. And then it was just one step after another, after another, after another. And we were just focused on being in God's will today. And as we followed that daily over a course of two decades, man, we wake up here dead center in the middle of God's will. Hey, where am I going to be at 10 years from now? I hope that I'm in the middle of God's will. Well, what does that look like? Is that here in Hawaii? I hope it is. When we started Who We Call, I asked God to give me 25 years as the pastor here. That's what I asked. Whether or not God fulfills that, I don't know. It's up to him. His call to make. If that's the case, I got 16 more years here as the pastor. I have no desire to go anywhere, but I just want to be in God's will. But again, God's will isn't a destination. God's will is a journey. I got to be in God's will today, and he'll reveal the rest of the path when that's time. That's why Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When you hold a lantern out in front of you, you just get to see what's immediately around you. You don't get to see the end destination and every twist and turn along the way. Sometimes the destination is so far off, you wouldn't be able to figure out a way from point A to point B anyways. My wife and I, when we were young and dumb, we're older and dumb now, but at least I am. We'd gone to the, to the big islands of Volcano National Park. Uh, and man, I don't know, we were like probably mid-20s or so. And so we, we, it was wretched hot during the middle of the day, and we didn't want to go out there. And at the time, Volcano National Park was open for 24 hours. And you, they didn't recommend that you go out after night, but you could. And so we went, went out at night. It was cooler. Uh, and we uh, had walked out there toward the... Lava had actually covered the road, and only as far as you could go, and we just parked the car there. And we began to walk, and we could see a lava flow out in the distance. We thought, we'll just walk towards that. And so we began walking and walking, and just like, oh, it's not much further. And we'll walk a little bit further and walk a little bit further. And there's signs there that say, like, don't go any farther if you don't have water. We didn't have water, but we went further anyways. And so I just kept on going. And no lie, we walked for hours. And it's just like, oh, I think we're almost there. I think we're almost there. And then we went back the next day during the daytime, and we walked like three or four miles in the dark uh, with like flashlights. Uh, but as we got out there and we could see the lava just pouring into the water and steam coming up, it was absolutely incredible. But had we had known, hey, it's going to be about a six-hour hike in the dark, we would have never even started the journey. That's a terrible idea. So, so many times we think to ourselves, oh, I want to know what God's will is. You probably don't. You just need to know what God's will is today. That's it. And so, 
Paul says to the, the, the Jews, hey, you know God's will. You know what God expects from you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 7. For what nation is there so great who God hath so nigh unto them as our Lord our God in all things that we call upon him? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so right? Righteous is the law which is set before you this day. Hey, nobody has received God's will and God's word the way that you guys have. And I'm so thankful for that. He says in verse number 18, you know his will, you approve us the things that are more excellent. They had discernment for life. And let me just tell you this, as a Christian, you want discernment. Charles Spurgeon had an excellent quote. He says, discernment is not knowing right from wrong, it's knowing right from almost right. That's what you desire. And, and let me just tell you this, as you mature in your Christian walk, you should ask the question less, is this right or is this wrong? You should ask the question, is this wise or is this unwise? That's going to help you a lot more. That's going to help you to fine-tune your discernment. Hey, look, any Christian who's been saved for more than a couple of years should have a really clear idea of what's right and wrong. But then when we begin to get into wise or unwise it gets a little bit murkier sometimes. Hey, is it a sin for me to hang out with friends who curse and aren't Christians and are, make fun of my faith? Is that a sin? Uh, it might not be classified as a sin depending on your intentions, but you can definitely say that that would be unwise for sure. Hey, is it wrong for me to take a job that takes me away from my family and I travel a lot and never get to see my wife and see my kids? Is that a sin? I don't know if it can necessarily be classified as a sin, but I could say that it's probably not very wise. You see, the Jews here, they, they had discernment. He says, you're able to approve those things which are more excellent. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should go into the land, whether you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom, this is your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God says this, I've given you my word to help you be wise. I've given you my word to help you to grow. I was talking to my son Van yesterday. We had a really good chat, he and I. And I told him, I said, I love your desire for wisdom. I said, because the Bible says a wise man will increase in learning, but a fool hates wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 says. A fool doesn't want to hear what the Bible has to say. doesn't want to hear what God's Word has to say. A fool says, I don't want to hear what my dad has to say. He's old. He doesn't know anything about life. But the wise man wants to increase in learning. The wise man says, hey, I don't have life figured out. Hey, I need somebody to help me. Hey, I need some guidance. Hey, I need to know what God says. And God says, great, I've given you my Word to help you to increase in wisdom and understanding and increase in discernment. That's what we want. Psalm 119, verse number 98. Through thy commandments thou hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers from thy testimonies or my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. He says, hey, I'm smarter and wiser than everybody else, not because I'm good, but because your word is good. I'm not smart because I have life figured out. 
I'm smart because I follow God's word. And let me just tell you this. Wisdom has no age limitations. Just because you're 75 years old doesn't mean you have the answers to life. My grandfather, when he died, was an alcoholic his entire life. He mocked the things of God, wanted no, nothing to do with God, made fun of Christianity, made fun of God, made fun of Jesus Christ, married seven times, couldn't keep a wife to save his life. But he would say, hey, let me tell you some things about life. It's just like, no thanks. I'm good. You don't have anything to tell me that would help me to do better in life because I have seen from your life all the things that I don't want. Oh, you think you're smarter than him? No, I think that following God's word is smarter than following him, for sure. I don't, I don't need wisdom that comes from foolishness. I need wisdom that comes from God's word. And so the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, I am smarter than my enemies. and I'm smarter than the old folks that I know, not because I'm better than them, because I've followed God's word. And let me just tell you this. I'll take a 21-year-old guy that loves Jesus and ha has been consumed by the word of God over some 60-year-old guy who's just seen a few things. Does that make sense? Again, you don't have to be old to be wise. Hopefully, the older we get, the wiser that we'll get through life experiencing God's word. But I know a lot of guys in their 50s that are fools because they're chasing after the things that the world has to offer. They're chasing after money and status and success and sex and things like that uh, when the Bible says all those things are foolishness. I've seen some guys in their early 20s that are ridiculously wise because they follow after God's word. And so Paul says, hey, you know God's will. You approve the things that are excellent. You're even taught by the word of God. You, they were instructed by the law. Like, again, in verse number 18, thou knowest his will, approves the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually on thy heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, thou shalt keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are a way of life. Hey, stick with God's word. It's going to be with you when you wake up and when you go to bed. It's going to light your path. It's going to show you what you should do. Hey, they really wanted to be taught, and they weren't trying to be taught by uh, the gurus of the day. They were trying to be taught by the Word of God. And Paul goes, guys, in so many areas of your life, you're absolutely killing it. You call yourself God people. You find your rest in the law. Your boast is in the Lord. You know God's will. You have discernment. You're being instructed and being taught from the Word of God. And then things take a turn. Again, we got that rebuke sandwich going on. Hey, you did so great in the, these areas. Now let me help you with something. Verse number 19, everything kind of takes a turn. He says, verse number 19, and you're confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light for them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes which thou hast a form of knowledge and a truth in the law. But then he says, verse number 21, there thou for teachest another, Teachest thou not thyself? Hey, you're teaching everybody else. Why don't you teach yourself? Thou that preachest that a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Wait a minute. You're telling people not to steal, but you're stealing. 
You think that you're a teacher, but you haven't even taught yourself these things. Verse number 22, you say that people shouldn't commit adultery, but you're committing adultery. You say that you hate idols, but your life is sacrilegious. And so while the Jews were clearly able to see the law, they were unable to judge their own hearts. Now we get the disconnect, right? You know what you should do, but your life doesn't match. Oh, this is problematic. We sometimes say that this is a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. I know what I'm supposed to do it, but my heart wants to do something different. And the difference is I can't just know the Bible. I have to obey the Bible in my heart. And, and here we have a disconnect, and here we have a problem. You see, the Jews viewed themselves as the answer. Hey, look, we're God's people. Hey, we rest in God's word. Hey, God's word was given to us first before anybody else. Paul even says in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto who? The Jew first. Hey, we're God's favored people. Do you guys even remember Abraham? Like Abraham is our father. And Paul saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that's good, but you are not the answer. You, call, you think you're a teacher, but you haven't even been taught yourself. You tell people that they shouldn't steal, but you're a thief yourself. You say people shouldn't commit adultery, but you're committing adultery. And so they had a little bit high of a view of themselves. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 14, Jesus has let them alone they be blind leaders of the blind, and the blind lead the blind. Both shall fall into the ditch. If you've ever heard the term, the blind leading the blind, that, yeah, that was started with Jesus. And these religious leaders who thought that they had all the answers and thought that they were the answer, he said, wait, 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 you guys don't even know where to begin. Proverbs chapter 26, verse number 12 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. You see, the Bible speaks of those who are wise in their own eyes. I, I think I've got it together. I think, I, I think I'm the answer. I think I can really help you here. But he's saying, you guys can't help anybody because you haven't obeyed the word. Yes, you know the word. Yes, you rest in the word. Yes, you want to be instructed by the word. But you have to actually do it. There has to be obedience on your part. They view themselves as better than the Gentiles. Again, they thought, hey, we're God's chosen people. I mean, we're like, we can't do anything wrong. Like, yeah, we've disobeyed throughout our history. Yeah, God sent us into slavery, but he always let us out because we're his people, right? Yeah, we've gone through some stuff before. Yeah, we're not perfect, but at least we're better than the Gentiles. Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're not better than anybody. And again, earlier in chapter number two, he says, God's going to judge every man according to his works, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. doesn't matter. Your standing before God is not determined by your ethnic background. And unfortunately, they didn't practice what they preached. Next week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of hypocrisy. And if you don't like being uh, uncomfortable in church, I would encourage you to skip next Sunday because 
It's going to be uncomfortable. Because, again, he's talking to a group of people who knew a lot of stuff, but they weren't living it out. And Paul's saying to them, hey, knowledge is good, but obedience is better. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, he quotes Isaiah. He says, he answered, said unto them, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it's written, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You're saying all the right things. You're using all the right language and terminology, but you don't know me. You're so far from me. I had a man several weeks ago who came to church here and he and I began to, to talk in the midst of a conversation. He'd been invited by a guy who met him at work. And we were talking, and he, he used a lot of, I'll, I'll say, Christian ease, right? A lot of Christian words and phrases. And, uh, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm highly blessed and favored. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm doing good this week, too. Uh, and so, you know, and we would begin to talk, and, like, you know, uh, he introduced me to his wife, and he said his wife's middle name was Esther, and God had given her to him for such a time as this. And so he began quoting all these, like, Christian phrases and Christian words and parts of the Bible and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, he had on a, a T-shirt that had, like, Christian language on it and stuff like that. And I gathered that this guy was somewhat of a believer. And so after the service, I asked him, I said, hey, tell me about when you were saved or born again. And he says, well... I got baptized when I was a teenager. I said, well, I didn't ask you when you got baptized. I asked you when you got saved. He says, well, I'm not really sure about that one. Okay. Man, let's sit down and talk. And so we sat down and talked when we went through the gospel. I showed him his need for Jesus. He recognized he had never been saved. He'd never been born again. He knew of God. He knew some things from the Bible, but he never actually had an encounter with Jesus where he confessed his sin and received Jesus Christ as Savior. I had the opportunity to sit down with him and go through the gospel, and he prayed and accepted Christ as Savior. Now, he says, I really want to change. I want to turn my life around. You know, I want to be a better husband, be a better father, things like that. And I said, all right, man. I said, first thing you got to do is you got to be in church every single time the doors are open. You got to grow in your faith. I want to help you partner up with another guy who can help you grow. We call it discipleship. He's going to teach you what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. And he's going to mentor you in this new relationship that you have with Jesus. Man, sounds great. This is exactly what I need. And here's the thing. No lie. The dude left, and I don't think the FBI can find the guy. He's like gone, gone, right? Like I'm going to put, put his face on a milk carton. I think he's missing, right? But what happened? He had an emotional experience, but then he didn't actually carry out what he knew he was supposed to do. There was a disconnect. And that's problematic. God doesn't want you to have this emotional experience once a week, once a month, once a year. God wants you to walk with him every single day for the rest of your life. Amen. That's what he expects of you. You see, it's deeper than just having good church attendance. It's different from just coming to church every now and then. God wants to change your life from the inside out. But that requires obedience. And they didn't practice what they preached. They knew the right words to say. They called themselves Christians, but their heart was so far from God. And so when we boil this down to really application for you and I, here's what I want you to think about this week. First of all, the Word of God only benefits those who live under submission to the Word. God's Word is the guide for my life. Look, Angela and I made a decision 
two plus decades ago. It was really simple at the time, really, really simple, really basic. But it's how we wound up where we're at today. We said, this is 22 years ago. God, whatever your word says, we're just going to do it. That's it. We went forward at a church service and knelt and prayed, God, whatever you tell us to do, the answer is always yes. And let me just tell you, I didn't realize it at that time, but that was a pivotal moment in our life where everything changed from that point forward. Because then it became not a matter of, are we going to obey or not? It's a matter of God already said it. We have no choice but to obey it. And so God's word only helps you if you're willing to live under submission to God's word. Jesus told a parable of a man who had servants in Luke chapter 12. I won't take time to, to read the passage, but it's basically like this. The servant, the master says, hey, I'm going away. I want you to look out for everything that I have here and take care of all of my, my people and my servants, and I'm going to come back when I'm done with my journey. He didn't tell him when he was coming back. He just said, I'm coming back. And so the servant that he's put in charge of everything basically started getting drunk and started beating his servants, not taking care of his stuff. And then the master came back. He's like, what are you doing? What happened here? I told you to take care of everything and you didn't. And the servant said, well, I didn't know when you were coming back. And he says, well, you weren't faithful with what I gave you. And here's what Jesus says. To whom much is given, of him shall much be required. If you know what God's word says and you don't do it, you're on the hook for that. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. If you know you're supposed to obey God and you don't choose not to, you're going to be held responsible for that. Next we see in this passage that knowledge puffs up, but wisdom comes from the application of knowledge. Look, I'm not trying to get you to become a Bible scholar for the sake of knowing a bunch of facts about the Bible. Look, I grew up in church, and by the time I was in second grade, I could name all the tribes of Israel. Did that help me when I was 16? And we all decided we wanted to go watch an R-rated movie with our youth pastor? Not at all. It was just a bunch of facts that meant nothing. I knew a lot of Bible stories. I knew the, uh, the lineage of the, of the kings and which ones were from the southern tribes and the northern tribes and stuff like that. That didn't amount to a hill of beans when I was 18 and I joined the Navy. It didn't mean nothing. There was a disconnect from what I knew and what I was supposed to live. I didn't even know I was supposed to live anyway. And so it's not about knowing more stuff. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. We're not trying to be super smart. We're trying to walk in wisdom. And again, I believe that you should be a theologian. Every single one of us should be a Bible scholar, but not for the sake of knowing facts, but for knowing how to walk in wisdom, for knowing how to avoid error, for knowing how to walk in truth. You need to know the Word of God. And look, if you're a husband, you should be the theologian for your home. You're a, a leader of God. If you have children, you should be a theologian in your home to lead them into the Word of God. You say, well, I don't really know how to do that. Good. Get the work figuring it out. We can't be negligent. We can't be 
shirking our responsibility to lead well. And finally, this is super important. We have to allow God's word and the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. This is where the Jews missed the boat. They knew a bunch of stuff, but they didn't look inside first. Isn't it so easy to point out the faults and shortcomings of everybody else? So easy, isn't it? When couples come in for marital counseling, they want to tell me, well, my spouse did this. Can you believe my husband said this? Well, it's only because my wife did this, that, and the other. And I'll usually ask them through the course of of marital counseling. This will be helpful for you if you're married. Okay, what part of the mess that you guys are in do you own? What's your fault? And so many times people are like, I don't know that I've done anything. Hmm, okay. Well, how's the other person? What's your part in all this? What's your, what do you own? What's your, what part is your fault? Well, I don't know that I've done anything wrong here. Exactly. So neither of us have done anything wrong, but yet we find ourselves in the mess that we're in. The real work begins when people can say, hey, I've been totally checked out on our marriage for like the last decade. That's my fault. Hey, I haven't been attentive to my wife's needs, and that's my fault. Hey, I get really hot-headed, and I lose my cool way too quick. That's my fault. And then we begin really making some traction when we can look inside of our hearts and see our own shortcomings. But so often, our pride blinds us that there's problems for sure, but the problem's not with me. The Jews say, oh, yeah, there's a problem, no doubt, but the problem's not with us. I mean, we're the teachers. No, 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 the problem is with you. And so I need the clarity to be able to see my own heart from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit inside of me. And if, you're, if you've never been saved or born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit, so you don't have that discernment yet. You need to be saved. But for those of us that are Christians, we've got to read with the Bible with discernment. <clears throat> We've got to ask God for help. God, help me see my shortcomings because I'm blind to it. I love what the psalmist says. Lord, take my heart, search and know it. See if there be any wicked way in me. Point it out, show me where I'm wrong because I only desire to be right with you. <laughs> There's another interesting thing. When Angela and I uh, had gotten married, we got into a Bible preaching church. I heard the pastor, he was preaching. He said, some of you need to get right with God. I went up to him after church and I said, hey, can one be wrong with God? I'm like, what does that even look like? I didn't even know what that meant. He says, yeah, if you're living in sin and you know it and you don't change, that's being wrong with God and you need to get right. What? Mind blown. I never knew that you could be wrong with God, but you can. But what that requires is me to be honest with myself. So many times I sit down with folks and say, hey, how's your walk with God? Good. Oh, it's good, 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 yeah, good. Hey, what's an area where you need to grow? Well, I don't really know that I need to grow anywhere. Okay, that's the first place is being honest. <laughs> that's where you could grow. Again, because none of us are perfect. All of us need an opportunity to grow, but we need to be able to see that. And again, if you're married, I highly encourage you to lean on your spouse during times like this. Like nobody knows your sin problems like your spouse does, guarantee you, right? Because they have to live with you. My wife knows that she married a sinner. That's not a shock to her. So I can ask her, hey, what are some areas in my life where you see that I need to grow? And she can give me so much wisdom in that. If you're not married, find a godly Christian friend that you can trust in. Say, hey, when you examine my life, what are some areas where you see that I could grow? Because none of us are there yet. But what we can't do is we can't just say, well, I know a lot about the Bible. I think I've got it all figured out. No, you don't. 
What we can't do is say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, yet my entire life denies the existence of Christ at work in my life. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to walk in knowledge. I want to be known as a child of God. I want to be known as one who rests in the word of God. I want to be discerning. I want to be wise, but I want my life to be able to back all that up. And most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, let today be the day that you get those questions answered. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 